Welcome back, fellow football fanatics. It's your host, College Football with Sam. And before we begin this video, I would appreciate it if you commented your thoughts and predictions for Michigan State's 2023 college football season down in the comments below. If you want to go the extra mile, please include a regular season prediction, including predictions for the Washington, Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State matchups, and also include a bull projection for Mel Tucker's squad if you think the Spartans are capable of going bowling this season. I ask specifically about Washington, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, and in my opinion, you could include whether it's Maryland, Iowa, Minnesota, really any game where you think or I think or the consensus is that Michigan State will be an underdog in that game. I ask about that because outside of running the football, the only two constants for Mel Tucker while he's been at Michigan State is running the football stubbornly, whether it's with Kenneth Walker in the backfield or Jalen Berger and Jarek Broussard in the backfield, and also upsetting at least one team that, in theory and on paper, he had no business beating. Even at Colorado, this was the case, where Colorado, in 2019, beat Nebraska. Scott Frost and Nebraska in 2019 were projected to win the Big Ten West, and Mel Tucker with a team that missed going bowling and went 5-7, and seven, not only did they play competitively, in the Pac-12 that season, they had a come-from-behind win over Nebraska, who at the time was ranked, I think, 25th in the polls that season. In 2020, Michigan State under Mel Tucker beat Michigan, who finished 2-5, and but at the time, Michigan was 1-0 and and number 13. And they also beat Northwestern, who finished the year ranked number 10 and won the Big Ten West. And then in 2021, we know that Michigan State went 11-2, beating Pittsburgh in the Peach Bowl, beating Michigan in the regular season, beating Miami, Florida on the road at the time that they were ranked by 21 points, and some other teams that they beat that were competent were Penn State, Maryland, um, and they also beat Nebraska, Northwestern, Western Kentucky, Rutgers, Indiana, Lots of close games against bad opponents, mediocre opponents, and great opponents alike, but 11 wins regardless. And then in 2022, despite a 5-7 and seven record and a team that stubbornly ran the football but didn't even cross the, a rushing threshold of 150 yards per game, which I would say is still probably average, if not below average, in Big Ten play, Michigan State still went on the road, and they beat Illinois at the time that Illinois was ranked number 14 in the country, beating them 23-15. to Every year, Michigan State and Mel Tucker, and even with Mel Tucker's lone season at Colorado, Tucker has found ways to win, whether it's one game or a handful of games, that on paper he should not have won. He functions well as an underdog. And I think that Michigan State and their identity that they have under Tucker, and even under D'Antonio previously, they function well as underdogs. And outside of that one component of their identity, the other component is running the football, which with Kenneth Walker, they were able to do extremely well in 2021. But last year, they were poor 
They were poverty at running the football. Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, most teams shut down Michigan State's run game. In fact, Indiana, when they faced Michigan State, had a better rushing attack statistically on the ground than Michigan State did that game with Indiana averaging more average yards per carry than the Spartans did on the ground and only attempting seven passes through the air. Great special teams play and also a better rushing attack is the reason that Indiana was able to beat Michigan State in Spartan Stadium as Michigan State had horrific special teams, a very mediocre at best run game, terrible terrible at worst rushing game, and a passing game that was very hot and cold, a very bipolar passing game depending on the day. Michigan State and inconsistency are words that I think currently are heavily correlated, to put it frankly. From 2021 going 11-2 and and 2022 going 5-7, and really just a handful of injuries completely derailed any hope for Michigan State in 2022 reaching a bowl game, and also coordinators who themselves are the definition of either mediocre or inconsistent. Jay Johnson, there has been, whether it's again with Kenneth Walker and with Peyton Thorne and Speedy Naylor, Trey Mosley and Jaden Reed in 2021 and having a great passing game, great play-action game more specifically, and a phenomenal run game, an explosive one with Kenneth Walker. Or 2022, where Keon Coleman was underutilized, the wide receiver core was not deep outside of Keon Coleman, and Jaden Reed and Mosley did get a little bit less action. In my opinion, the tight ends were also underutilized, and Peyton Thorne regressed. So he's inconsistent. Scotty Hazleton's defenses, in my opinion, are objectively bad. Their secondaries are terrible. And outside of D'Antonio recruits at the defensive line, when Jacob Slade gets injured or Jacob Panishuk leaves for the NFL from the defensive end position, things fall apart. So there are tons of questions, tons of them, about Michigan State entering 2023. There's no doubt about that. And they have one of the toughest schedules in the country. Their roster, despite the fact that they've recruited better under Tucker compared to D'Antonio, is still woefully lacking in talent compared to Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, and then teams in the Big Ten West even, like Wisconsin and Nebraska, who've gotten a handful of top 25 recruiting classes over the past few seasons. Michigan State, talent-wise, is much more comparable to, let's say, Maryland than they are to Penn State or Michigan. And in the long term, Mel Tucker and his staff have to recruit, develop, and game plan at a much higher level than they have over the past three seasons. Five and seven with multiple blowout losses and a loss to Indiana is not going to cut it for even 2023, and it will cut it even less in 2024 and 2025 when Mel Tucker has been here for four or five years and all of the starting players are his recruits and were developed by his staff. I was very much surprised when Jay Johnson and Scotty Hazelton were both retained, along with Harlan Barnett, after the 2022 season. That genuinely surprised me. Mel Tucker made no coaching changes. He didn't fire anyone. 
all of the coaches who left, like Brandon Jordan, who left for the Seattle Seahawks, left on their own will. They did not leave because Mel Tucker and the staff or athletic director Alan Haller forced them out. That's not why they left. They left on their own will. And then Mel Tucker went out and brought in D. Run Reynolds from Stanford to coach the defensive line, brought in Jim Salgado from the Buffalo Bills to coach in the secondary. And we'll see how those staff additions work. But overall, the staff's pretty much the same as it's been ever since Mel Tucker arrived in East Lansing. Mel Tucker and Jay Johnson and Scotty Hazleton are still the three most powerful coaches on that staff and the ones that have the most responsibility and that steer the ship in the direction that it's going in. I think the expectations for Michigan State do need to be modest, but they don't need to be low. After all, this is going to be Mel Tucker's fourth season here, and the majority of the players on Michigan State's roster are now his recruits, and in the case of Trey Mosley or Simeon Barrow or Noah Kim, some players who were recruited by D'Antonio, but their first year on campus, they were coached by Mel Tucker, they've been largely developed, if not solely developed, by Mel Tucker and his staff. So if Mel Tucker is a coach who Michigan State believes in, a coach who wants to bring conference and national titles to East Lansing, complete for compete, pardon me, for New Year's Six Bowl bids and college football playoff spots. Those will be practically the same thing in 2024, but this is 2023. We're a year away from that. He has to start now. 2021, the team went 11 and 2, 7 and 2 in the Big 10, then they proceeded to go 5 and 7 in 2022 and went 3 and 6. 3 and 6 in conference. And then the COVID year they went 2 and 5 and all of those games were in Big 10 play. Outside of running the football, and as I talked about earlier, occasionally getting that top 25 upset or getting that win or a handful of wins as an underdog, there is no team identity. The team can't make field goals. They struggle and will now struggle definitely with punting now that Bryce Beringer is gone. They struggle with pass protection, with run game development, with running backs, the offensive line. They struggle utilizing tight ends and wide receivers. Daniel Barker and Malik Carr last year were some of the most underutilized players in the Big Ten. Both were in Michigan State's tight end room. Let that sink in. And strength and conditioning, the team last year often looked lost. They were bullied by Michigan, Ohio State, Washington, Maryland, Minnesota just blew them out on the field, nearly made it a 34 to nothing shutout. That can't happen. That can't, under no circumstances can that happen in 2023. Outside of maybe Ohio State, maybe, maybe Michigan, but with the Michigan game, as a Michigan fan myself, I know that for Michigan State, that, that Michigan game, even if Michigan is 15-0 and and they're greater than 2001 Miami or 1995 Nebraska, Michigan State will expect to at least be competitive for a half against the Michigan Wolverines. Michigan State, the expectation should be compete in 10 or 11 of your regular season games, only allowing maybe one or two 
lopsided defeats, and go bowling. And with the elite schedule that Michigan State has, if they do those things, they will likely get an upset over a ranked team. They'll have some road wins. They'll have home wins. And there will be a lot of entertaining football. And the team will be so much better, so much better than last season. In 2021, this offense scored 31.8 points per game and the defense allowed 25.3 points per game. And then last year in 2022, the offense only scored an abysmal 24.4 points per game, which was good for 92nd, 92nd out of 131 Division I FBS football programs last year. The offense looked like it was coordinated by Dave Warner and Jim Bowman yet again, and the statistics do not communicate how bad the offense was because Jalen Berger, Peyton Thorne, Keon Coleman, Jaden Reed, and Malik Carr, Daniel Barker, even Jeremy Bernard, who's now at Washington as a backup wide receiver, they absolutely tore up Western Michigan and Akron to begin the year. And the defense, don't even get me started on Scotty Hazleton, but at least they improved at the season's end despite Jacoby Winman and several other defensive starters being suspended for the tunnel incident at Michigan. The expectations for Mel Tucker and Michigan State football this season should be improve in all areas compared to 2022. Improve off the field and on the field. Improve offensively, defensively, and on special teams. The offensive line and the defensive line look to both be better than last year. The only area that I see this team getting worse at is wide receiver, but wide receiver was already underutilized last season. An example of that being the Michigan-Michigan State game where Jay Johnson would rather just consistently give Jalen Berger the ball and hurl him helplessly against one of the best defensive lines in the country rather than have Peyton Thorne throw it to Keon Coleman, who was consistently burning Michigan defensive backs all day. There needs to be better management, better coordinating, better game preparation. The Washington and Minnesota games that happened last year cannot be replicated again this season, especially with a schedule that is much tougher than last year's schedule. And last year's schedule was no joke. It was one of the more, I would say, gridiron schedules in all of college football already. And you can see that right here. We're now visiting my record predictions and analysis of the team with position grades and what my power index thinks of the Michigan State Spartans. I pulled this from my Big Ten predictions video and Top 25 video, both of which are linked down below in the video description, and I encourage you to check out those videos and watch them. Michigan State has Washington, Iowa, Michigan, Minnesota, Ohio State, and Penn State on their schedule. Three of those games are on the road, two of them are at home, and one of them's at a neutral site. All of those teams, in my opinion, will be top 20 teams, and my power rankings agree with me. And I think four of those teams, four will be top 10. And that's me personally, and my power rankings also agrees with me. And even though my power rankings and my own personal top 25 and personal record predictions are similar, because obviously they come from the same brain, there are some differences. 
For example, I have Michigan State ranked as the 24th best team in America, and that includes group of five teams. My power rankings does not yet rate group of five teams, and that will change in the 2024 preseason, but it ranks Michigan State as the 28th, 28th best power five team, which seeing that whether it's UTSA or Tulane or Boise State, typically one group of five team is at least just outside of that top 25. Michigan State is in that 30, 29, 28 team range according to my power rankings. The Spartans should be strong at tight end. Their defensive line, offensive line, and linebacker core with Aaron Brule, Cal Halliday, and Jacoby Winman returning, along with Jordan Hall coming in as a true freshman and likely receiving playing time. All those units should be amongst the strongest in the Big Ten. I think the tight end room is the potential to be the deepest in the Big Ten. Michigan has... Colston Loveland and A.J. Barner and Max Brennison, those are great tight ends. Michigan, along with Minnesota and Iowa, those will be schools that contend for having the best tight end duo. Michigan State doesn't have a tight end duo quite like those three schools, but they do have several tight ends who are of Power 5 starting caliber. Whether it's Malik Carr, who I think is a freak athlete, hard to tackle, explosive, he can go vertical as a tight end, and according to what I've been hearing in fall camp, he's doing much better at blocking. Last year and in previous years, he treated his position as a bigger wide receiver, and now he's actually treating the tight end position like what it is, which is a hybrid between a wide receiver and a a left tackle, is sort of what I envision a tight end being, at least typically. Jalen Franklin, transferred in from Wisconsin, who was a backup last year in a tight end room that featured Eschenbaugh and Cundiff, along with Rusi. So there was a deep tight end room there, not with a star player, but a deep room nonetheless, and he chose to transfer to Michigan State, and he is improving as a player and looks like he'll be a great receiving tight end. Tyneal Hopper, Evan Morris, and Adam Aloa Falei are other tight ends who will look to serve in various roles, primarily as backups. This could be the deepest tight end room in the Big Ten. Nationally, I don't know if I would go that far. Probably not, but it would be close because Minnesota, Iowa are tight end rooms that are easily in the top five nationally, but Utah's and Georgia's will certainly contend to be deeper than those two schools. And with Brock Bowers and Oscar Delp, along with great tight end recruiting and development, I would say Georgia's number one when it comes to overall starting talent and also depth. But for Michigan State to be even mentioned in the same breath and sentence as those schools at any one position is impressive. Their tight end room, I think, will be utilized a lot more because it will have to be. The run game, as I think it improves with Nathan Carter coming in through the portal and Jalen Berger returning and the offensive line returning three or four key contributors from last season in Brandon Baldwin, Nick Samak, J.D. Duplain, and Spencer Brown, and also having a good backup now as a starter in Gino Van Demark at right guard. Just running the football will not be enough, especially against Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State. And I would say even Washington, Iowa, and Minnesota. All of those teams will have anywhere from 
good defensive line play to elite defensive line play with Iowa, Michigan, Ohio State being in that elite category, Minnesota, and I would say Washington being near elite, and I'd say Penn State being great with elite defensive ends, and I would say mediocre defensive tackles. All in all, Michigan State needs to have a balanced offensive attack if the Spartans want to have success this season. Malik Carr and Daniel Barker, Jaden Reed, and Keon Coleman were underutilized last season because Jay Johnson and Mel Tucker wanted to run the football. And it's understandable why they wanted to run the football because that is their identity. But you have to adapt to what your roster is and not cram your scheme down your roster's throat. And I think that Mel Tucker and the staff will learn from that this season. They've already talked about how Last year was a failure. They're learning the lessons there. And also the roster is much deeper and healthier this year than last year. So the gears will be better oiled and they'll function much better than last year. There won't be any cogs in the system or not as many cogs in the system. But if Michigan State is going to adapt to their roster, I think the tight end position will be far more utilized than it was last year especially since Michigan State's best receiver, I think, is Malik Carr. And then Jalen Franklin will also contend for being a top receiver on the team. Trey Mosley is a proven receiver, and I think he'll have a good year. And I think Monterey Foster Jr. or Christian Fitzpatrick, one of those two will have a breakout season. But that tight end room is too deep and too good to be ignored and neglected especially when Noah Kim and Caden Hauser need some reliable guys who can get yards after contact because they're new quarterbacks, they're playing in a gauntlet of a schedule, and many of these defenses will not be easily burned. In fact, Iowa, Michigan, Minnesota will definitely have great secondaries. Penn State will definitely have an elite secondary. Heck, with Michigan and Iowa, you can bump up their secondaries to an elite level as well. And Ohio State and Washington even will have good secondaries at worst. Washington's could be great. Ohio State with Denzel Burke, Davison Igbenosin, Jod Carter, and Lathan Ransom, they'll have the potential to be elite as well, along with Michigan, Iowa, and Penn State. And Minnesota with Tyler Newbin and Justin Wally at safety and corner respectively, these secondaries that Michigan State will face I highly doubt Michigan State will be able to take advantage of their passing attack like they did in 2021. In 2021, Michigan State had an elite running back who should have won the Heisman in Kenneth Walker. And Kenneth Walker, his presence on the field would cause opposing defenses to stack the box so they they could at least hope to stop him. Even a stacked box couldn't stop Kenneth Walker at times, but what a stacked box also did for Michigan State was give them the ability to utilize play action and get big explosive plays down the field with Peyton Thorne throwing it deep to Jaden Reed, Jalen Naylor, or Trey Mosley. Trey Mosley had an extra few 100 receiving yards in 2021 compared to 2022 with the same amount of receptions and that's because Michigan State was able to be more efficient in the play action game with Kenneth Walker in the backfield. Michigan State abused the flea flicker play in 2021, and why wouldn't you? 
because handing the ball off to Kenneth Walker is something that opposing defenses don't want to see. They want to stop him as quickly as they can before he gets hot, and that creates perfect opportunities in the deep play-action game. Michigan State did not have much of a run game last year, which ruined their play-action strategies. In this season, the play-action pass game should improve. I think the pass game in general will improve, at least in the short and medium zones of the field, with the tight end room improving. When it comes to getting the ball deep, with Keon Coleman and Jaden Reed leaving the program, I would say there should be some slight regression there. But all in all, the passing game is going to have to lean more on the tight end room than ever before, because the tight end room, in my opinion, is deeper, and that's where Michigan State's best receiver is. The Spartans will lose to Washington, Iowa, Michigan, Minnesota, and get dominated by Ohio State. I have Washington, Michigan, and Ohio State all reaching the college football playoff this season, so that should give you an idea of how tough I think Michigan State's schedule is. I think the Spartans will upset Penn State in Ford Field on their final game of the regular season before going against Arkansas in their bowl game. If the Spartans don't upset Penn State, I do think they will continue their streak of upsetting a top 25 team, and the next likely opponents who would fall to Michigan State, if not for Penn State, I think would be Minnesota and Washington, potentially Iowa as well. I think Michigan and Ohio State are too good for Michigan State to have a good chance at beating either of them. Michigan State would definitely have a better shot against Michigan, though, than they would against Ohio State, because it's a home night game versus Michigan, as opposed to a road game at noon against the Buckeyes, who match up more favorably with the Spartans. Let's talk about some stat projections here. Michigan State's offense, I have scoring .455 offensive points per play. I have them passing for almost 250 yards per game. They will run the ball much more effectively than they did last season. Last season, Michigan State struggled to cross that 100 yards per game mark, only gaining about 113 yards on the ground. In 2023, the Spartans, thanks to a more diverse and complementary set of skills in the running back room and a more veteran and superior offensive line compared to previous seasons, will rush for around 175 yards per game. The Spartans will score a total of 52 touchdowns and they will kick eight field goals. The kicking game last year was comparable to Nebraska's in 2021, which that is the bottom of the barrel when making kicking game analogies, and I think with Jonathan Kim coming in from North Carolina, Michigan State will definitely be better in the extra point and short field goal game, which last year was the reason that the Spartans lost to Indiana and missed a bowl game. And if they were able to make extra points and field goals in other positions, maybe they could have gotten the offense some momentum and confidence to win another game or so. But special teams last year for Michigan State was just abysmal. I don't think the special teams unit will be good this season, but I think at least in terms of kicking and returning punts and kickoffs, I think Michigan State will improve there. With Bryce Beringer being drafted by the Patriots, I do think the punting game will take a large step back. This defense will be the best defense that Mel Tucker and Scotty Hazleton have produced which the bar for producing that defense isn't very high because Scotty Hazleton's defenses 
for three seasons now have been atrocious. Michigan State's pass rush I don't think will carry the same weight or intimidation factor that it did in 2021 when Jacob Panashuk was there. However, I think that with Tunmiche Adelaide at right defensive end and either Chris Bogle, Avery Dunn, or Ken Talley at left defensive end, I do think that there are multiple players who will get involved in rushing the passer. By Joby, I could totally see him at sort of that hybrid linebacker defensive end edge position, and I could see Scotty Hazelson putting him on the field on third and longs because he is fast, he's athletic, he's not big, so I wouldn't expect him to do well lining up directly in front of an offensive lineman. I think that would be a bad mismatch for Michigan State, but having him just sitting on the edge on obvious passing situations, I think with his speed and athleticism, He's going to be, for sure, a star in the future, and he has an NFL future. And even as a freshman, just to have him on the field in pass rush situations, I think that he will do a phenomenal job. And then Brandon Wright and Zion Young are other players in the defensive end room that are capable starters. Defensive tackle, I think that with Simeon Barrow Jr., Jalen Sami, Derek Harmon, and then Maverick Hansen, along with some more incoming transfers in Dre Butler and Jarrett Jackson, and Alex Van Sumeren, who was playing well last season before the staff decided to preserve their own future, really, and redshirt Alex Van Sumeren so that he could stay with the program for another year, which I think long-term was a good decision. The defensive tackle room is one of the deepest in the Big Ten and one of the deepest and highest performing in the nation. So Michigan State's defensive line and then the linebacker room with Jacoby Winman, I think, is going to be a strong point of not just the defense, but the entire team. The Spartans will have eight interceptions, 48 passes defended, and I think this will be Mel Tucker's best secondary with the Spartans. I think bringing in Jim Salgado to help coach the secondary, along with Harlan Barnett, allows Mel Tucker to take his focus off of the secondary and more to managing the entire team. If you're a head coach of any college football program, especially one where you want to chase championships, chase the moment, you have to manage your team. You cannot be a position coach, a coordinator, and also a head coach. It's a very hard thing to do. It's what's gotten Jimbo Fisher in trouble at Texas A&M. It's even gotten Ryan Day in trouble versus Michigan. He cannot manage his team during the game and also call plays during the game. For whatever reason, it just hasn't worked. Ohio State has been able to solve every other defense in a majestic way outside of Michigan's defenses for the past two seasons. So he gave up play calling duties so that he can do a better job of managing the team. Bringing in Jim Salgado allows Mel Tucker to stop personally coaching the secondary because he stepped in in 2021 and 2022 because he was frustrated with the lack of high-level play at the position. But I think with new blood and with Mel Tucker blue-chip recruits like Jaden Mangum and Dylan Tatum, who were four stars coming out of high school, they will be starting as true sophomores at the safety position. Angelo Gross, Charles Brantley, Terry Roberts, Chester Kimbrough, Samar Melvin are players to watch at the cornerback and noseback position, and Armorian Smith, an incoming transfer from Cincinnati, and true sophomore Malik Spencer 
are also players who you should be paying attention to at the safety position. I expect rotations all around the defense as well as the offensive line because the offensive line also has Keyshawn Blackstock, who will be a backup tackle, and I think the best backup on that offensive line, and I expect him to rotate in that tackle room along with Spencer Brown and Brandon Baldwin. So Michigan State, I think, will have their deepest team, as Mel Tucker has said this preseason, in the entire Mel Tucker era. I totally believe that from him and the staff. However, with the tough schedule and also with the lack of an X-Factor elite Heisman-level player, I don't think Michigan State will have an 11-2 record. However, they will have explosive playmakers and NFL players like Malik Carr and Jacoby Winman. Malik Carr is my offensive MVP because I think that he will lead the team, potentially, in receiving touchdowns. I think he'll have seven receiving touchdowns, 44 receptions, 568 receiving yards, and he'll average around 13 yards per reception. Malik Carr is a big body who's hard to tackle, and he also can go vertical. He's a good route runner. Last season, he had two receiving touchdowns, 209 receiving yards on 16 receptions, and he averaged 13.1 yards per reception. He was criminally underutilized by Jay Johnson. 6'5", 260 pounds, and he can go vertical. And now in the preseason for 2023, he's become a better blocker. He is going to be an absolute weapon. I don't expect him to be an elite blocker, but he'll be a much better blocker than he was in previous seasons. And I think that with his improvements in the receiving game as well, and evolving into Michigan State's number one receiver, you are going to be hearing the name Malik Carr a lot, especially in the red zone where his height, weight, and play style is just a mismatch, whether you're a corner, safety, or linebacker. Other candidates for this position were Nathan Carter, who I think is going to start at running back for Michigan State and rush for over 1,000 yards. Noah Kim will have a passing year similar to Peyton Thorns in 2021, albeit I think he will be better on the ground as a rusher than Peyton Thorne was in his career at Michigan State, and I think that Nick Samak at center was also another candidate for this. Samak is a great leader. Hearing that he was injured in the preseason was something that was concerning, but it sounds like the injury is just temporary and he will be starting for most of the year, if not the entire year. My defensive MVP is linebacker Jacoby Winman. I think once again he will be one of the leaders in the Big Ten and forced fumbles with four. He'll also have four passes defended and an interception, and I believe he will lead Michigan State in total tackles. Having improved over the preseason and being a huge factor in Michigan State's season last year, playing in only eight games and racking up several tackles, sacks, and leading the nations in forced fumbles with six, I think he will take a big step forward this year, crack the 100 total tackle mark, as I expect him to play in 13 games rather than eight and become a much bigger part of the defense. He'll collect eight sacks, and more importantly than any statistic that you can measure with numbers, I think that we will see him have a bigger impact in big games whether it's the Michigan and Ohio State games, the Penn State game, 
the Iowa and Minnesota game or the Washington game, I think that he will do a better job of rushing the passer when facing up against elite offensive lines. Because when you look at Jacoby Winman in 2022, Akron and Western Michigan is where he collected all of his five and a half sacks. That's also where he collected two-thirds of his six forced fumbles, and his only interception was against Graham Mertz in Wisconsin. He was practically a non-factor in big games, although he did collect a career-high 12 total tackles against Michigan last year before being suspended due to the tunnel incident. But I think Jacoby Winman is a phenomenal player, and then my breakout candidate is Monterey Foster Jr. at wide receiver. I think he will have nearly 500 receiving yards, five receiving touchdowns, and I think he will be the explosive wide receiver on this team. I think Trey Mosley overall will still be wide receiver one, but Monterey Foster Jr. will take a huge step forward compared to last season. Finally, my analysis of this team is that they have the nation's best strength of schedule as they will face four top 10 teams. And believe me, Iowa and Minnesota could totally play their way into being top 15. Maybe one of them could play their way into being top 10 teams by the season's end. I mean, the teams that the Spartans will face this season are impressive in my mind. This is comparable with Indiana's schedule yearly, Auburn's or Tennessee's schedule yearly when they have to face both Alabama and Georgia. And Michigan State, they don't just have to face Ohio State and Michigan, who I think are the top two teams in the country, but I have Washington pegged at number four, Penn State at eighth, Minnesota at 16th, and I think Iowa have pegged at 18th. And that's a tough schedule. And then Illinois is a team that I would have in my receiving votes category as a top 30 or top 35 team. And Nebraska, Maryland, and maybe even Purdue, if they can pull together a few upsets, could also you know, rise into that category. And also other teams like Rutgers or Nebraska, I already mentioned. And the Big Ten is just very deep this season. Mel Tucker's 2021 toughness will return, I think. This team will compete in nearly every Big Ten game. I think the Ohio State game is just a bad mismatch from the get-go, but Michigan, Penn State, Minnesota, Iowa, those are four of the five losses for the Spartans that I have projected this season. All of those teams like to play man ball, They love to pound the rock, and I think Michigan State's team is built well to game plan against those kind of teams. And then Washington, for example, has questions on defense, and Washington has to do what Michigan State did last year, which is travel multiple time zones and play in an unfamiliar environment where the Pac-12 doesn't do well on the East Coast and the Big Ten does not do well on the West Coast. So Michigan State has plenty of winnable games, and I think they will compete in every game they play except for the Ohio State game. The Spartans will have one top 25 upset on route to going 8-5, and 5-4 five, five and four with a bowl win over Arkansas. The strengths of this team are elite defensive tackle and linebacker physicality. The linebackers and defensive tackles are all big. They're also athletic, and this team should be able to shut down most opposing rushing attacks. I think the only opposing rushing attack that will still be able to consistently gash this defense will be Ohio State's and, more importantly, Michigan's. I think Michigan will have the better rushing attack than Ohio State, 
But of course, Michigan State does play differently against Michigan. And you have to mention that because that's something that it sounds ridiculous to say, but if you know the rivalry, you know that that's true. But outside of those two teams who have elite offensive guards, Michigan will have an elite proven center, and Ohio State will have a great center in young Carson Hinsman. And both of those teams also have elite running back duos. Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum are top three running backs nationally, and Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams are top 10 running backs nationally. Outside of those two teams on Michigan State's schedule, whether it's Penn State, whether it's Iowa, whether it's Minnesota, Washington, Maryland will have a great rushing attack. Nonetheless, those teams somewhere in their rushing attack have holes, whether it's Penn State and the fact that their interior offensive line play is very vulnerable, whether it's Washington, whose starting running back Cameron Davis is sadly out with an injury for the entire season, Iowa, who doesn't exactly have elite talent anywhere on the offensive line, or at running back, just great or near elite talent, or Minnesota, who I think has a lot of upside, but they also have a lot of new faces, and maybe their chemistry isn't gelled together for the entire season. Michigan State defensively will have plenty of opportunities to shut down opposing offenses at the point of attack. The Spartans have versatile running backs and tight ends. Their offensive line play will complement the defensive line play in being much improved compared to last year. And this team finally has some depth to it. They don't have the depth that Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State have, but I think that compared to previous seasons, depth is a strength of this unit. Weaknesses, however, revolve around the wide receiver room, and I think coaching and, of course, the secondary. The wide receivers aren't experienced outside of Trey Mosley, and I don't think any of these receivers have a high ceiling. I think Malik Carr will have a much higher ceiling as a receiver than any of these wide receivers do, outside of maybe Trey Mosley. I read an article a few days ago talking about how there's a history of Spartan wide receivers breaking out in their third season, and it sounds like Trey Mosley will be in his third or fourth season. He's nearly at the end of his eligibility, if this last year isn't his final year of eligibility. So he's an obvious breakout candidate, but I'm leaning more toward Malik Carr, as I've already said. This staff is mediocre, and the secondary is plain bad. The secondary doesn't have any X-Factor player or any great player in my mind. Dylan Tatum, Jaden Mangum, Terry Roberts coming in from Iowa, there are some players who could be good, or in 2024 or 2025, some of these younger recruits could be coached into being great or near-elite NFL players, but this year I don't see it. And between Scotty Hazleton and Jay Johnson, I'm half-tempted to say that one of them will be fired or let go after this season, even with the improvements. Because in the long term, I don't think both of them can be on this staff if Michigan State wants to compete for championships. I think a realistic ceiling for this team is 9-4, and four, with an absolute ceiling of 10-3, and three, and maybe going to a New Year's Six Bowl and losing, or 9-3 and three going to, let's say, the Citrus Bowl, for example or the Rillia Quest Bowl, or one of those higher non-New Year Six Bowls and winning that game. The floor, realistically, I think, even with a tougher schedule, is 5-7. and seven. I think this team is bound to improve compared to 2022. But if they stay the same 
as 2022, or the improvements are only marginal at best, this team could find a way to go 4-8 and eight, as the schedule is the toughest in America. Thank you guys so much for watching this video on Michigan State football. If you liked it, please hit that like button, comment your thoughts down below, and subscribe to the channel. I will be covering Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, and the entirety of the Big Ten for the 2023 season, along with many more out-of-conference games. I'm so excited to begin this season, and I hope that you decide to join this awesome community. Have a great day, guys.